It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Senator Lucas is a hard act to follow. Last week... I ended a show we did on abortion with a speech. And I'm going to strike a little bit different tone because I am a woman and I am here to speak for myself and for all the other women in this chamber. This is Georgia State Senator Jen Jordan back in March when the state's so-called heartbeat law was up for debate. Senator Jordan is a Democrat, pro-abortion. When she got up to speak, she knew she wasn't going to change any minds. But it seemed like she wanted to go down fighting. My husband and I were talking about this bill the other night, and he told me that he didn't want me to share anything personal because no one was entitled to that information. And I have always fiercely guarded my privacy. About 10 minutes in, Jernan starts defending abortion by opening up about her own eight miscarriages. I have seen what many of you in here have called a heartbeat 10 times but I have only given birth twice. I have lost seven pregnancies in varying points of time before 20 weeks and one after five months. Her name was Juliet. I have laid on the cold examination table while a doctor desperately looked for a heartbeat. I have been escorted out the back door of my physician's office so as not to upset the other pregnant women in the waiting area, my grief on full display and uncontainable. Her words are powerful, but when I listened, it was really her tone that made me pay attention. Jordan projects this mastery over her rage. She ends with a warning to her colleagues. And let me be clear. If you shirk the most basic duties you have to protect the fundamental rights of women today, then no doubt the women of this state will reclaim their rights after they have claimed your seats. I yield the well. After watching this, I couldn't help but think, this woman's got more to say. So I called her up. I mean, I never thought I would be talking about this. Um, it's, it's interesting. I said the two things I never wanted to talk about as a, an elected official would, were guns and abortion. And I think that's all I've talked about <laughs> since I got elected. She says... The day she gave that speech, she was the last senator on the schedule. I mean, the debate had been going on for hours. People were incredibly tired. And she'd considered leaving out all the personal stuff. But as she sat there, hour after hour, she was just getting angrier and angrier. And one of the things that I had really wanted to do was to, um, you know, probe the men who were speaking in favor of the bill and questioned them. But the Republican caucus had basically made a decision they weren't going to take any questions from any of the women. And so we basically just had to sit there and listen. And I thought that that was a really, I thought it was really unfair because a lot of the stuff they said, A, wasn't scientifically, you know, true. I remember 
one of the senators like did, you know, quotation marks. He was like, oh, and this whole idea that there's reproductive health. I was like, what are you talking about? Um, it was just kind of, it was a little flabbergasting. The men that had gotten up had cried. One of them even said, you know, who, you know, who speaks for the unborn or who will fight for the unborn. You gotta speak on somebody who's not said anything. And that's the life of the unborn. He didn't get, a, get to weigh in on this. Who will speak for them? They don't have a representative. They don't have a senator. But we are their representatives and their senators. And I think when he said that, that's when I made the decision that I have to do this. Because I know who speaks for the unborn. It's, it's the women. Um, it's the mothers. Your speech wasn't really about abortion. It was about your miscarriages. How did you connect those two things? I mean, I know, and I've always known I was pro-choice, but I, I tell you what, I don't think I really understood why until, you know, I had my children and I went through the process of being a mother and being pregnant and understanding the real implications of you know, what it means. What does it mean, you know, in terms of your privacy and your health and what does it do to your body and even your ability to keep a job? I mean, I've been, you know, demoted. I've had to leave jobs because of pregnancies. I've, you know, I've, you know, put my career on ice for years. And so when those men, the Republicans, walked into the chamber, I mean, they felt 100% good about what they were doing. And I wanted to make sure that when they walked out, even if they voted for that bill, that they at least had to hear me. Now, whether she likes it or not, Senator Jordan has ended up on the front lines of America's abortion war. So today on the show, she's going to tell me how she got here and where she thinks Georgia's restrictive new law is going to go from here. I'm Mary Harris. You're listening to What Next. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by Discover. When it comes to your finances, Discover wants you to know they are the credit card that is always there for you. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, that means no more waiting for, quote, normal business hours just to get a hold of someone. We are talking real service from real people whenever you need it. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. I want to talk a little bit about you, because you were elected pretty recently to the Georgia State Senate. And from what I understand, it was a little bit of a surprise that you were elected. You know, you have this background from a woman-owned law firm. Why did you decide to run for office? So I've never wanted to run. Um, I've 
always really believed that women should run. <laughs> it's kind of a weird thing. So I would always push other female candidates because I do think that, that women, when they run, they generally can win and then they govern better. But for me, I love being a lawyer. I love what I do. And it was always enough for me. So what you're saying is you're pretty political, but you didn't want to dip your toe in. Why not? Because I could always do it through the law, right? Like, I'm an institutionalist. I love the law. I love what I do. Political, I've never loved. But a few years ago, I had a case where an 18-year-old girl was sexually assaulted while she was under anesthesia at a dental office. And a nurse anesthetist had videotaped himself assaulting her while, you know, she was under And, you know, he went to jail after it was discovered, but then we figured out that the dental office had left her alone for two hours and under anesthesia and that they didn't even have a license, all this kind of stuff. And so we we went after them because I just said, that's just not okay. And we won at every level except when we got to the Georgia Supreme Court. And it was right after President Trump was inaugurated. And I remember standing there and the justices came out in their black robes, and they were all men. And when questions had kind of come up before about, well, is there really an injury because she was, you know, she was asleep. She didn't know what was happening to her. You know that there's a real lack of understanding of what sexual assault is and what it does to, to women. And even the questions from the bench that day just showed a real lack of understanding of why it was important and you know why it was significant that we should we should protect our children from this kind of stuff so it was interesting cuz i mean the argument went well but i just knew i was like it's it's not this isn't going to be okay and about a month later we got the opinion and there they had unanimously turned the entire case around and there had been a jury verdict and intermediate appellate stuff and i kind of just was like It's not enough anymore. It's not enough just to be a lawyer or be a good lawyer or work hard. I mean, if you're not at the table, you're on the menu. Um, Hmm. And women have been on the menu. I talked to my husband about it, and he said, okay. And then the next day, we woke up, and the state senator from my district, which is a Republican district, it had been drawn as a Republican district, gerrymandered, uh, announced that he was going to run for governor. So it would be he would be vacating the seat. I kind of thought that it was the sign. And um, sure enough, we ended up winning to everyone's surprise. You're exactly right. <laughs> and, and we won because of the way the structure was of the race because it was a special election. It was like December 7th. I remember was the day that we won, woke up that day and, you know, Facebook memories come up or whatever. And uh, December 7th of the previous year was the day that I had argued the Georgia Supreme Court case. So I felt like this was definitely what I needed to be doing. Georgia's new abortion law has been one of the first big fights of Jen Jordan's legislative career. I have basically made it my full-time job (laughs) to uh, analyze the bill. What's going to happen, really, like from a a legal perspective? Georgia's not the only state to pass strict new abortion rules this year. But this law is one of the most comprehensive. 
the idea is to trigger a court challenge that might cause the Supreme Court to reverse Roe versus Wade. Some people call Georgia's law a heartbeat bill because it bans abortion after six weeks, when a pulse of cardiac activity can first be detected by ultrasound. There are exceptions for the life of the mother, or in the case of rape or incest, but it would allow prosecutors to charge women who get an abortion. It even opens up the possibility of criminal charges after a miscarriage. So May 7th, your governor signs this heartbeat bill, quote-unquote, into law. What has happened since? Tell me what's happened in the last couple of weeks and how the ground has sort of shifted. Because it does feel like there have been a lot of protests. It does feel like there's been a lot of action, especially in Georgia. Yeah, I think everybody was taken by surprise. I mean, I think I said in my speech that there had been kind of an uneasy truce here, right? I mean, we currently have one of the most restrictive abortion laws in the country. I mean, it's a 20-week ban. In Georgia. Right. It's the same type of ban that was just struck down as unconstitutional in North Carolina. So it's not as if there's free-flowing, you know, abortion everywhere here. I mean, it's, it's a really strict, strict state when it comes to abortion rights anyway. And I think, I think everybody was blown away about how swiftly this came in and came out. And the bill was not vetted appropriately at all. I mean, it's just the craziest bill. I mean, it, it extends tax deductions to, you know, a fertilized egg, meaning if you have a miscarriage in a tax year or multiple miscarriages, you can deduct those on your taxes as if they were living, breathing children that you had to take care of. It actually, and there's a big debate right now about the language, but there was a change in the law that would indicate that now women will be subject to criminal prosecution if they terminate, if they self-terminate. And, you know, we've gotten some pushback from some Republicans saying that this is just a scare tactic. And I'm like, no, I'm a lawyer and I can analyze a bill and I can tell you that if you had the wrong prosecutor, because also in Georgia, district attorneys are even partisans. So if you had a partisan who felt like they needed to make a political statement, I could see them going after a woman and trying to prosecute her for, you know, self-termination. That takes the law to a completely different place and in, in somewhere where it's never been before. Yeah, I mean, you're talking about some of the unintended consequences of the law, because I assume it's not written into the law that you can take a tax deduction for your fertilized egg. It's just one of those things that could be a consequence of the fact that you're conveying personhood to a fertilized egg. Well, there's actually a provision. <laughs> there's an actual new provision that says that now we're going to change the definition of a minor dependent as it currently stands under the Internal Revenue Code. But it goes to the personhood thing. I mean, look, I think that the folks that were pushing the bill believed that you couldn't just say that the fertilized egg was a person, that for it to really have effect, right, to show that we mean it in this state, we would actually have to kind of bake in some rights and privileges that normally would be extended to living, you know, human beings. So they were adamant about that because that was one of the things we were trying to clean up in committee. It was kind of like, well, let's, at least let's just get this ridiculousness out, right? Let's get this tax stuff out. There's like a census thing. It'll be, you know, they'll be considered as part of a state population count. It's like, get this out of here. This is just all goofy, right? And there was just tremendous pushback. And I couldn't figure it out. I was like, why in the world, if really your, your aim is, you know, just to ban abortions, like, why do you care about all this other stuff, right? 
and what it comes down to is they're really trying to convince the U.S. Supreme Court that the state of Georgia recognizes zygots as citizens of the state. And, you know, look, we can prove it. I mean, we've got all these extra rights and privileges that we're going to extend to them. Now, there are some unintended consequences that I don't think some of my Republican conservative brethren thought about, um, including the fact that if you have um, an immigrant here who may not be here lawfully, if she becomes pregnant in the state of Georgia, then that, you know, that zygote, that fertilized egg is a Georgia citizen. And there's all this kind of, can you deport her at that point? Can you even retain, you know, detain her at all? I mean, she would be subject to be able to get health care and, you know, benefits, all that kind of other things that we extend to every other person in the state of Georgia. And it's that kind of unintended consequences that, you know, I don't think they really thought through. It's interesting to hear you talk about this because you're really talking about it as a lawyer and all the legal ramifications. And of course, you are a lawyer. You've said you don't think legislators really realized what they were doing here. Why is that? Did they not have the sort of legal experience that you do? So it's it's a huge problem here in Georgia. We don't have any lawyers serving. Um, We don't even have enough lawyers to put on the Judiciary Committee in the Senate. And part of it is because it is a part-time legislator. So we only purportedly meet for 40 days in a year, and it pays approximately $17,000. Um, Doesn't feel like your job is part-time to me. (laughs) uh, It does not. It does not feel it to me or my family or my law partners, um, (laughs) believe me. So it's one of those things where the type of people that can serve are very limited, right? I mean, really, you have to be independently wealthy to be able to do this. A huge swath of people, like, for example, teachers, the largest segment of our budget goes to education in the state of Georgia, um, public education. Teachers can't even serve in the legislature. I mean, the people who are the actual experts in these various areas can't serve. And so in terms of the lawyer thing, we don't have enough lawyers to even analyze legislation. So then what happens? Well, what happens is then they just listen to, you know, their leadership, and it becomes very much kind of a team mentality. And it's like, my team is for this, your team is against it, as opposed to saying, you know, hold on, Hoss, like, this is bad. Like, have you actually looked at this? It sounds like you're worried that a woman could accidentally find herself ensnared in this law. She does something that results in a miscarriage. Is that an abortion? Is that an accident? What is that? Well, that's just it. I mean, look, what are we going to do? You see a pregnant woman eating sushi and you want to make a call? I mean, you see someone drinking and in a bar and and they're pregnant, then they have a miscarriage. It really takes away so much autonomy from women. You know, all they do is focus on abortion, but but what is abortion really about? Abortion is really about women having control of their bodies and having the ability to make the decision to have children when it's right for them. You know, pregnancy is one of the most difficult things that women go through in terms of their bodies and their health. I mean, women die. Women die in pregnancy. Why do you think you have to go to a doctor so much when you're pregnant? I mean, it is not an easy thing to be pregnant, to have children. Kind of the root of all of this, I mean, it goes back to Griswold, right? And Griswold versus Connecticut and the penumbra of rights emanating from the Constitution. It really is about the ability just 
to have autonomy over your body, which deals with all of those reproductive health issues. That's why it was important to frame it not just in terms of abortion. It was interesting to hear you refer to the penumbra language from the Griswold versus Connecticut Supreme Court case. It's a case that protected people's ability to use birth control. It rested on the right to privacy. And it's the basis of Roe v. Wade. The ruling reads specific guarantees in the Bill of Rights have penumbras formed by emanations from those guarantees. It's it's pretty it's a pretty generous interpretation of the Constitution. And it's also the kind of thing that makes a lot of legal experts raise their eyebrows. But you use that word with a lot of respect. I wonder why. The reason I have respect for that is because, look, women were written out of the Constitution. So they had to find a way to put us in. Hmm. And if it's through the penumbras, man, I will take it. That's just it. We need to we need to protect the penumbras because that's really what protects the most basic decisions we make about our health, whether it's about, you know, taking birth control or not. And I think if women started to realize that, that this isn't just about abortion, that this is about even those very specific choices surrounding contraceptions and birth control, I think you would have a very different response in terms of whether or not they would support a bill like this. You know, you've been very clear that there are political consequences for votes like this and have talked about women and people who disagree with this law coming for people's seats. I wonder if you're seeing a backlash from folks who now see the stakes differently. As you said, it was it was an uneasy truce, but it was a truce before this bill came. And I wonder if you're seeing something from those rural districts or even in metro Atlanta where folks feel activated, people who maybe weren't activated before. I think that's exactly right. I think, look, I think for so long, I mean, I was born the year after Roe v. Wade went into effect. I have never lived as a human being in this country where I didn't have some basic rights over my body. And, you know, we've heard for years, oh, they're they're coming for it. They're coming for it. And a lot of times you think, all right, is this a political thing? You know, are people being hyperbolic? And I think that's why people are so activated now, because I don't think anybody ever thought this was going to happen. Because of that, it has activated a lot of people that normally you would never see at a rally. You would never see putting together a homemade sign or coming down to the Capitol or talking to their elected representatives. I mean, they're scared. Senator Jordan, I am so grateful for your time. No, thank you for your attention. Jen Jordan is a Democratic state senator in Georgia. She represents parts of Atlanta and its northwestern suburbs. All right, that's the show. What Next is hosted by me, Mary Harris, and produced by Mary Wilson, Jason DeLeon, and Ethan Brooks. You know what you need? A trip to New York, a little break, to come see us at Slate Day. It's an all-day podcast festival on Saturday, June 8th. The What Next crew is going to be there for a morning show at 10.30. We're going to have coffee. 
I'm going to be there, and we're going to have amazing guests. I'm going to be talking to comedian Wyatt Cenac, NBC legal analyst Mimi Roca, and New York City public advocate Jumani Williams. Come through. For more details, go to slate.com slash slateday2019. See you there. All right, that's my plug for the day. Talk to you tomorrow. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I'm Dahlia Lithwick, and I'm host of Amicus, Slate's podcast about the law and the U.S. Supreme Court. We are shifting into high gear, coming at you weekly with the context you need to understand the rapidly changing legal landscape. The many trials of Donald J. Trump, judicial ethics, arguments and opinions at SCOTUS. We are tackling the big legal news with clarity and insight every single week. New Amicus episodes every Saturday, wherever you listen.